joined by Mark Lucero, the coach for Steve Johnson. And Mark, um, commentator as well, I should point that out. So you're very comfortable with the microphone in front of you. Um, Stevie, where, where's he at um, right now in terms of the development? I think everybody knows the backhand has kind of been that, that question piece for him. So where are we at with Steve Johnson right now? I think we're seeing a Steve Johnson who enjoys playing again. When we look back over the last 18 months, and it's been something that people have talked about quite a bit, probably not a majority of players, but a lot of players, just how difficult it's been to, you know, to, to see the world for where it is and then to go out and play tennis because tennis seems so unimportant in the times that we're in and playing in front. Most players like to play in front of big crowds. That motivates them. And I think for a lot of players, Steve included, playing in empty stadiums or, or playing in partial stadiums, but being told, you know, we're sequestered to our hotel and not being able to leave, I think it's very difficult. It's a real challenge. And that environment, I think, was unhealthy in the way, I think probably you know that and a lot of people where when you're sitting in your hotel room, you have a lot of opportunity to realize what you're missing at home. And you know, Steve has a little girl named Emma and, and I have a 11 month old also. And for both of us, you know, we're staying in the hotel rooms thinking about our significant others at home with newborns. And it's it's really difficult to put all your effort and energy into your tennis. And, you know, when you're home, you want to be there and be a present and contributing dad. <laughs> and maybe the practice is, I don't need to play today or I can do it some more tomorrow. Or maybe we can sh cut it short or whatever it is. And it's just a tricky balancing act to get used to. And I think since things have begun to normalize and fans have started to come back and it's you know things are slowly slowly normalizing in some senses which you know and we're seeing fans in the seats which is just huge and it's so it's fun it's just it's fun again and I think a lot of players are starting to put their best foot forward again because the other parts of their lives are probably feeling a little more fulfilled now. When you do have uh, these obviously mental hurdles that that Stevie and many other players have been going through how do you allow that to play out while also trying to work on some of the technique and the strategy things that you want to get across? I th really think it's about empathy and it's about understanding that these these human beings, if, if they're not right, the, the tennis stuff is, is pretty inconsequential. So people, I think, have to be right as, as people before we can really address the tennis stuff or expect that tennis stuff to really pay off in any significant way. And, you know, if it means spending time at home, if it means, you know, thinking about what the goals are, or putting maybe putting some ideas on paper or whatever it is, things that you want to prioritize or that are important or things that you need to do when you're gone in order to feel like, you know, that part of your of your brain or that part of your, you know, heart or whatever it is, is getting some attention, then I think you can address the tennis, but not until then. And are you at that point, though, you're addressing some of the things uh, in terms of the tennis? There were a couple of things that, that Peter Smith and I really talked about doing, and, and one of the things was wanted to be better in return games, um, wanted to hit the return, you know, the, hit the two-hander on the return a little bit more often. He makes a lot of returns with the slice, but sometimes he ends up doing a lot of running as a result. And it, you know, my opinion, and we looked into some some numbers, was when he hit the two-hander, he ended up being neutral in the point a little more often that gave him a chance to do what he's good at was to hit forehands and to really you know put the pain on the other guy yeah and, and yeah but if you know any you know, stuff about tennis and development it doesn't show up in matches overnight right you know the, the idea was that at some point in some big match you're going to need to hit a couple returns this way and it's going to pay off and it might not be in a month it might not be in two months it could be in six months 
And then there's like the element of is the player comfortable enough to do it when it really matters. And it's been fun to see it come out in certain moments this year in big matches. Um, I can think of a bunch of other matches this year where on big points he's been brave and, and tried to do what he's done in practice and it's paid off. And you know, as a coach, it doesn't matter, like pro, junior player, high school player, like when you see those things actually come out in a tangible way, it's pretty rewarding. And it's interesting, you mentioned empathy a second ago, and, and we don't hear that word very much in tennis, but I imagine knowing you, in terms of how you approach some of those after-match moments, especially when a player is down after having lost, you have the empathy to say, hey, I know it sucks right now, but you also had these moments, right? That has to be something really positive that you reinforce. Yeah, there's such an element of, you know, I want to say emotional intelligence in dealing with, with, again, not just with tennis players, but with human beings and understanding, you know, having a relationship in which you understand what works in a moment, what doesn't work, when it's best to stay quiet, when it's best to, you know, throw an arm around somebody and just kind of be there. It's just sort of being able to read those moments and it doesn't matter, you know, who you coach, but those are the things where over time, as the relationship has kind of been built to that point, you have a better idea about how to get into that situation and how to, you know, do you need to, do I need to make this guy feel better? Do I need to let them feel this way for a certain amount of time? How do they respond? And then how do we move forward ultimately? One person you coached in, in years past was Nicole Gibbs. Um, and, I, and I bring her up because there's been so much made, obviously, over the last couple of years about the mental health component of our sport. You think about, obviously, Naomi Osaka has been so brave in her discussions of late. But with Nicole, she actually talked about her battle with depression a few years ago. Um, and she was not by any means the, the pioneer. But in our sport, it, it was so rare to hear that. And I'm just wondering what you think about her, and she's retired now, and, and how she kind of went through that struggle a little bit more alone than, say, Naomi Osaka has. Yeah, I think Nicole was someone who, she had this inner strength, I think, that a lot of people saw as a competitor and, and as a person. And I think that came out when, in a lot of times, when she spoke up for certain causes that she felt were important, but mental health, um, you know, how women are treated at tournaments or how women are treated just in general in society. I think she had this, or she still has this, this, this fortitude and was willing to stand up when not many other people were willing to stand up. And, and I give her you know, a ton of credit for that, for being, you know, for being brave and being willing to go out there and be honest and say, this is how I'm feeling. This is something that, you know, I've been dealing with for X amount of time or, or this is something that you know is an ongoing uh, process that I'm going through and it's something that needs to be addressed and I give her a lot of credit for that because I know it's not easy. Um, it's funny I was texting with somebody last night about this whole this whole issue of mental health and um, when I think about Nicole the the phrase I used when I texted this person yesterday I, I think there's strength in showing weakness there's strength in showing vulnerability and when I think about her um, you know that's kind of what comes to mind and i am um, really proud of her for trying to push that you know push that uh conversation forward she's left the sport at this point um but and i it's made me think about this idea that we might have had some champions uh, who maybe cut their careers a little bit short even in juniors because maybe they didn't have the strength around them or, or the people around them to help them push forward yeah i think everyone needs an advocate and this the structure of tennis is such that you have some maybe some faux advocates who 
will end up advocating for them. So they're supposed to represent you, but they're going to represent themselves. And they're going to kind of, a lot of times, go out for their own best interest just because of the inherent structure where you have player representatives and the players aren't employees, they're independent contractors, and you have tournaments who need the players to play. And, you know, there's mental health professionals like on tour like that, that can be resources for the players but ultimately you know you don't necessarily know like not that you know, I think they're great but you, you know it's the same thing in team sports with athletes that you know get hurt NBA guys get hurt and they don't want to go to the team doctor right <laughs> they want to go right. to their own doctor because <laughs> I want to hear who's going to really who you know someone who doesn't have skin in the game and they can tell me what's really best for myself and you know I, I think in tennis I think there's better ways to address this as something actually um I'm on the coaches council for the WTA and it's something that I talked about a little while ago was, you know, these resources are great that you have for players, but can we flesh out some resources for coaches? Because, you know, in general, coaches are older, coaches have families at home and coaches, you know, have a lot more things to miss. So, you know, and, and they were they were very responsive in, in getting back and um, figuring out a way that we can help the coaches and the coaches program and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you think about tennis, it's so challenging. It puts the person through so much to get to even college tennis or challenger tennis. or To get to this point, you have to be able to endure so much. And, yeah, it's a thought of mine quite a bit. Like, are we? do people get pushed out of the game who would really be, you know, be, end up being advocates or transformational personalities later on? And I think most importantly, though, it's, it's, it's nice that we're starting to have these discussions. We're starting to allow people to have a voice or at least feel like they have a voice, the opportunity to, to speak out. And now there's going to be a kind of a collective, I guess, mental health check with, with everybody. It seems like there is more now. Yeah. And I think ultimately people want to be heard. People want to feel like they have a voice and people don't want to feel invisible or they don't want to feel like they're just <laughs> like a mule put out there to, you know, to... <laughs> Pull, tow the tractor right you know they want to feel like they're some they're you know you're Mike Cation I'm Mark Lucero and that people, someone cares about what I'm going through and if it's if it's real to me then it's real and if I have you know someone who I can turn to or someone that can help me through that that can make a big difference and you know this game is just it's so brutal mentally um, so many people get filtered out like I wish more people could stay in it Speaking of having a voice, uh, your podcast, On the Mark, is the title. Check the mark. Check, geez, check the mark. Sorry. God. <laughs> Alex Gruskin's going to kill me. Uh, check the mark. Excuse me. The, the, reason I wanted to, yeah. <laughs> the reason I wanted to bring it up is because you get into the weeds a little bit about it. Uh, tennis court speed, about the differentiation in balls. It is something that is, I think for us tennis nerds, we get it, right? It's a little bit different for an average fan. How do we make that more palatable for an average fan so they can understand why that's important? You know, I, for the average fan, I think that means the outlets that speak to them have to talk about it. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I got done a few weeks ago watching Drive to Survive on Netflix, the Formula One. Yeah. It, I don't know anything about cars. I've never <laughs> seen a car race in my life. I've never watched, you know, the Indy, whatever, the Indy 500. Never seen any of this stuff. And I started watching the series because people talked about it. And all of a sudden, I'm talking about engines and like you know is he wearing is he doing like the which tires does he have on his car like should he go to the uh you know should he pull into the garage and um switch <laughs> tires like what's leclerc doing you know what, what's mclaren <laughs> engine are they doing a renault engine like uh so all of a sudden i know these things because someone brought it to my attention and someone started to sort of explain and go into the backstory and tell me why they're relevant i in my opinion i think the same can be done in tennis i think understanding the court speeds 
how the margins are so small in professional tennis, particularly in men's professional tennis. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned in you know being on the men's tour was how slim they are just because of the serve. That these things make a difference. The court speed, the type of ball they're using week to week, the humidity, these things make a massive difference. You know, one thing that you can nugget you can give them is look how many breaks happen in the seventh game, or and then after that, like every nine games, the last game with new balls is like a brutal game to serve yes. with. And I think if fans were able to pay attention to those things, they would feel I think more an investment in the game. And when you feel invested in the product on television, you're going to pay attention. And, and explaining just what's happening in a in a very true sense, I think, you know, bring it to the people, you know, on ESPN, on Tennis Channel. You know, if you have Paul Anacone and Brett Hayward talking about it a little bit more often, I think people are going to start to, we you know, weave it into their day to day understanding of you know what happens when they watch tennis. Well, I think now people <laughs> know you're a voice that people are going to want to listen to. So check the mark is the podcast. My apologies for getting it wrong the first time, but Mark, thank you so much and good luck the rest of the season. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure and. Uh, my first coffee with Cation. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. My old podcast back in the day. I appreciate it.